All right, I kind of feel like <laughs> this is the conversation that people actually want to hear. Oh, for sure. I mean, people are like, oh my God, what you said about the kids was so great, but like, let's cut the shit. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Soul Cycle. Oh. oh, God, I know. So, we're going to break this episode into three parts because. I, I want each piece to be digestible, but also I kind of look at it in three parts. There is leading up to becoming an instructor and sort of what that process was like, riding, training, living in New York, that sort of thing. And then part two for me is when I meet Mark. Oh my God. <laughs> my favorite part. The, the only part. And then part three would be now which is what we're all seeing all over the internet which is like instructors are leaving they're putting out these statements that don't have a lot of substance behind them you know last year's black history month and pride and all of these sorts of things that are public knowledge right yep so let's dive in <laughs> Mark, I want to ask you, is there anything that you want to know or is there anything that you don't have clarity on? You know, I guess, you know, for me, I obviously know a lot of the story, but, you know, if you go all the way back in time, what was it about soul versus kind of other opportunities you could have had then that became such a focus for you? Like what, what was the specific attraction for you? Oh, that's a good question. So I had never even taken a spin class before. Not even like, like a normal, like, you know, YMCA type of spin class. <laughs> no, like no spin class ever, ever, ever. Um, I had only ever been on a like spin bike in the gym wow. where, where like you can't even clip in, right? It's a yeah. foot cage. Yeah. So um, I had no frame of reference for choreography on a bike much less anything else. So when I when I came to Rhode Island for grad school, you know, I was sort of the athletic one of the bunch, right, of my class of 20. And one of my classmates suggested I try SoulCycle. Um, and I was like, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> like, it's dark and there's a lot of bikes and whatever. This is cool. Um, but there was no Soul Cycle near Brown's campus, right? The, the closest one is Chestnut Hill. So it just didn't feel, it didn't feel feasible. It didn't feel like there was any urgency to drive, especially when I was a new New Englander to right. drive from Providence to Chestnut Hill to go take this 45 minute spin class in the dark with candles. It just didn't make any sense. So I didn't get to try Seoul until I was in California visiting Tony and um, uh, Newport Beach has a studio inside of Fashion Island and I was like, okay, let's do this. And I think it's important to note that walking into the studio, <laughs> I mean, I, oh God, it, I felt so out of place. I I felt really black and really poor and like really unpopular. I can imagine. There are like bitches in like diamonds and like that is not a workout to me. Like like 
foundation and fake eyelashes and diamonds and lipstick, like that is not right. That right. is right. <laughs> that does not an athlete make yep. in my mind. And but but it is an Instagram post. <laughs> it totally makes you, sense. You know what? That's which is like a whole nother story. But I was like, where am I? And like, what are these clothes? And who are these people? And like, why the fuck did Marina tell me that I should try this workout? This is just like not this. This is not a thing. Um, and then you know somebody helps me clip into my bike. You know that experience. I do. And um, and then you know the I'm all, all the way in the back row and. Sia, Elastic Heart, comes on, and I start fucking crying. <laughs> Not an atypical response, though, you know? <laughs> I, I know, because everyone I'm... cries. Yes. I'm, yes. like, screaming now, and we are just beginning. Um, so I'm crying. I am not keeping up at any pace. I, I couldn't tell you what happened for the rest of the class, but watching, watching this girl some like skinny white girl up on the podium, I was like, I can do that. This, this is something that I need to do because at that point, you know, I was at Brown getting my master's in acting, but I had decided, you know, in pursuit of acting, I was going to sort of leave athletics behind. And this was like, I can combine the performance side with the fitness side. And like, this is a job. Like right. people, people are doing this and making money. So at that point, I just knew that I I needed to I needed to do it. I needed to be there, and I didn't care. Like my ass was hurting so badly after, and I like went back like three more times in two days, um, just because I wanted to soak it up. Right. And then yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I never knew that part. That's that is. Amazing. I guess what what was it that you envisioned? Um, you know, what did success look like for you? I guess as you saw yourself on the podium, you know, instructing all these students, put yourself a year out. Like, did you have an image or a, a viewpoint on what success looked like for you at that point? What is this fucking interview? Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I did. So. For me, not being in the culture or anything yet, for me, I wanted to teach class for people like me, which makes sense thinking about it now and thinking about the instructor that I am now, wanting everyone to be strong and everyone to be in it and everyone to show up. But I wanted to teach people this really awesome, cool, innovative seeming seemingly innovative thing but like people who were not wealthy people who didn't have the right clothes or the right body or people who weren't white and you know whatever I wanted to be the representative for for the outsiders I guess right the people who were People who are strong, right? I was skinny back then, but I had some muscle. Yeah, um, still do, by the way. Still do, but you know, like I, I can't describe it, but I think I think what I wanted then was to have the presence that I have now, if that makes any no, sense. No, it makes total sense, and you know, I don't want to kind of jump 
too far ahead. But, you know, I think the given that, right, the, the, the image that you had for yourself is certainly the image that showed up in the room, you know, as someone who had taken SoulCycle before and certainly had done a shitload of spin yeah. in my fitness career, um, you you showed up differently, right? And, and, it, and it was in a way that is really hard to quantify um, because it was qualitative, not quantitative, right? Thanks, babe. You bet. So what drew you to SoulCycle? You know, it, 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 so I loved spin, and it was one of those things that complemented my weightlifting regimen. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I liked being in the room and listening to music, but, um, you know, when I first heard about SoulCycle and I, I heard there was one relatively, you know, close to where I worked. It was not close. It was semi-close. <laughs> it was not close. close. Okay. Um, yeah, no. No, it wasn't at all. But no, I, I, had, I had heard about it and it just seemed really intriguing to me, right? The way that they presented themselves was to create an experience unlike any other experience on a bike. Yeah. And the first time I, I went in that room, it was the same thing, right? It was, it truly is, um, sadly so, right, in some cases, but it truly is um, a transformative experience especially if you have the right instructor yeah. on the podium. Yeah, and 100%. the first time I went, you know, it, it transcended what was normally just a spin, um, a spin experience for the sake of exercise right. to an experience, period. Exactly. Right. And that, exactly. Was, that, was, that was the thing for me. That makes sense. So for someone like you, right, this is y- your definitely an athlete, martial artist, um, tech guy, business guy. You're not a dancer. You're not. Definitely (laughs) not a dancer. You know, you're, you could say that you're not the kind of guy who would be at soul cycle, right? Surrounded by women. You're not a perv. I mean, I think I thought you were gay, when I met you because so like, many people have said that <laughs> because you're like, you're not that you're not that guy that's like in the room chasing tail right. and looking at titties. Right? right. Like, so what, like, I don't know. How did you feel in the studio space? Like strange as hell. So going back to your point, so clearly I didn't have the exact same like experience that, that you did or reaction that you did. Yeah. But I was clearly one of the oldest people in the space, <laughs> clearly. And, you know, I, I I didn't show up and I think I had, I, I don't know, like some Reebok shorts on. And oh, like no, some, no Lulu. You know, Lulu <laughs> no Lulu. No Nike. No branded soul oh, merch. Oh, Jesus. None of that, right? I, I, I certainly fell out of, out of place. And, and like you, I found my way to the back of the room. Yeah. Um. But like the two things for me is it was, it was an experience that was unlike anything I had had. So I wanted more of that. But it also was a challenge, right? The choreography was like, for, especially for me, was not easy. Right. Um, I feel like your brain burns calories trying to figure out it, like it, wh- it, what is going exactly on. Exactly. Right. Like 
and what are all these terms and I've never heard them before. And everyone's and I'm moving looking around. around. It's like you're the only one that doesn't know what is going on. And Hundreds. everyone else is just like moving fluidly on this bike. It's so embarrassing. A hundred percent. And yeah. I, I'm sure, like I think, you know, probably on my second ride, I was so focused on just the rider in front of me and trying to mimic that individual, not realizing that that individual was new as well. So we were both just oh, fucked yeah. up you, for the whole you ride. You had to like, I'm glad I wasn't teaching that class because, you know. So anyway, let's let's go back a little bit, a tiny bit. Um, so I take this class and I fall in love with this class and I feel like this is the job for me. And I'm in grad school, therefore, um, a level of poverty that's interesting. Newly married to Matt, and um, you know Matt's just starting his career, so he's just graduates PT school, and this is his first real job. And it was it was a struggle, like far away from home, not far away from home, but away from home, away from everyone we know, away from our support system. You know, I can't work because grad school is six days a week and, um, and Matt's, Matt's working his full-time job and then a part-time job. And, um, (laughs) and then SoulCycle contributes to the ruin of my marriage because I saw, I saw this, I I knew that I could be an instructor and I didn't know how and I didn't know when that would transpire, but I knew that I could do it. So the only days I could ride were Sundays and I would drive from Pawtucket to Chestnut Hill and, you know, I was like charging these classes because $30 is in no way, shape or form normal for a fitness class. It's expensive period and for 45 minutes and I'm driving 45 minutes there 45 minutes back and then of course because I am like muscular and black and broke I have to buy the clothes because how else am I going to fit in in this room full of like white people that have money more money than I do some of them have money some of them don't but like more money than I do and all of this makeup and Botox and whatever, how am I going to fit into this? And how am I going to stand out enough for someone to even know that I want to be an instructor and everyone is so damn unapproachable? It was quite an experience. I don't even know. Now that I'm saying it, I'm like, why the fuck did you keep going back? I don't know. So I... I would I would ride and rack up credit card debt and then Matt would be like you can't you can't do this it's too expensive we don't have this money and then I would cry and freak the fuck out and be like you're not supporting my dreams like you know I'm not going to make any money from acting anyway so <laughs> like you might as well you might as well jump on the bandwagon it was just like always this point of contention between us and um So when I finally did make it into training, it was this relief that for both of us, it was obviously one, I had proved something to myself that I could, that I could do it, that I could, you know, make this, make this thing happen. It was my first kind of like real, 
real lesson in manifestation and trust and surrender because I had no idea of the how. I just knew that I could. And for Matt, it was, you know, he's, he's just like much more logical thinking. Like he's not like a woo woo manifestation universe, universe. Like he's like not that guy. So for him, it was just like very tangible. Like, okay, great. She's in this training. That means she's going to get a job. That means she's going to make money. That means the debt is going to go away. Right. Um, and that was, <laughs> that was not the case because you have to train for like almost three months in New York and they don't pay for that. And so I had to, oh God, I had to live in this like awful bedroom in my cousin's house in Queens. It sucked. I cried every day. It was fucking January and February and it was a long walk from the subway and you're carrying food and clothes and bags and extra clothes and <sighs> not to mention you're probably like completely wiped and exhausted you're exhausted riding and riding and riding and like you can't keep weight on your body and you're like always eating and and which is like constantly spending money right so we go back to this thing where matt is like what the fuck is going on because you have to buy coffee you have to buy food you need your granola bars your salads your dig in like your sweet cream right there wasn't there wasn't enough meal prepping that i could do right so i was teaching at orange theory at the time in dedham and i would drive to new york city either sunday night or monday morning and train Monday through Friday at Seoul and then drive back Friday afternoon during rush hour and get up, teach four classes Saturday and Sunday at Orange Theory and then spend the rest of the day washing my clothes, meal prepping, looking for music. Like it was just, I don't even know how my little body didn't give up. But well, we know why that is, right? Well, yeah, I'm a tough-ass motherfucker, but... Exactly, though. <laughs> but, I mean, it was, it was... In hindsight, I should have known that... It's not that I was afraid of, of hard work, but in hindsight, I should have known that, like, burning, burning the candle at both ends in that way was super unhealthy and that it gave me a window into what fitness is actually like, which from the outside, it looks like a bunch of really healthy, really mentally sane, inspirational, uh, ripped people. And on the inside, it's like really broken people, maybe or maybe not, mentally well uh probably have some sort of disordered eating pattern or body dysmorphia uh probably adrenal fatigue really high cortisol levels i mean you're constantly like working or thinking about work or prepping for work or how am i going to make money or accepting this client or that client or something like if i had paid attention 
I don't know if I would have changed course, but if I had paid attention, I think, I think I would have realized that if this was going to be a career that I was choosing, I would really, really need to learn how to take care of myself. And I would really, really have to focus on my own personal wellness versus my husband's my husband's idea of financial wellness informing personal wellness. That's interesting. Which is not a thing, right? right? Like if we were smart, we would have just been like, okay, this is more money than we have right now. Let's take out a loan right. and figure it out later. Or let's, right? Like the way that that happened shouldn't have happened. It had to happen for me to get here. But looking back on it, and I, but I think that's that's really the thing, right? Hindsight's always right that way. Always. Um, you know, the interesting thing for me listening to that, other than, you know, a bunch of really interest, interesting and fascinating points, is the fact that, um, you know, it's kind of like a blueprint on if you really have a passion about something, virtually anything can be done. At what cost is the question. Yes. Right. But but the fact that you commuted back and forth to New York City every week, that you worked all weekend, that you spent this one day food prepping, cleaning your clothes just to go back, and you do that for three months in the middle of winter, blows my mind. But it also right demonstrates, obviously, how you're built and what your drive looks like. But truly, right. It, Almost anything can be done, but in the moment, we always lose sight of it. And right. I wasn't you, but in listening to this, I've got to imagine at some point in time while you're in it, you're like, shit, if I can just get through this, it's all going to be great on the other That's side. That's what I thought. Right? Yes. Yes. Until you get to the other side. Until you get to the other side, and you're like, this is horseshit. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just spent all this time and all this money and all this stress and I have acne and like <laughs> what for yeah. this yeah. yeah yeah I mean but like you said that's that's the gift and the curse right um uh, things can be done this is why I get so frustrated when I'm teaching or when I'm personal training um this idea of like I can't right and it's like no you fucking won't right you're making a choice you're making a choice, right? You're choosing your comfort nine times out of ten, right? There are certainly circumstances which people are injured or whatever. Something is right. something is going on or we all have bad days or days where we just don't feel as strong as we normally do. Whatever. But, like, those days can't be every day. It can't be every class, every training session, right? At some point, you have to decide... Do you want courage or do you want comfort? Right. And I think, I think like this is where I'm finding the nuance both as a person and as an instructor of, you know, part of, part of what is so amazing about me is my drive and right. part of what kills my spirit is my drive. Yep. And I have to be careful of like how much of that I'm putting on other people because you know, other people may not feel the same intensity that I feel or, or maybe they throw out these arbitrary goals 
because it sounds good, right? Like I want abs. I want to be stronger. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I, if someone says a goal to me, I take it as, as fact. Right. It's a commitment. It's a commitment, right? If you say to me, like, I want to deadlift 400 pounds, I'm like, bet, let's go. This is right. right, This is the journey. But then it's like, oh, I have to, I have to get up at six so I could work out before work. Oh, that means I'd have to go to bed earlier. Oh, that means I would miss my show. Oh, that means I can't have wine and cheese before bed, right? Like then when you start peeling it back, right? then people are like, ah, uh, I don't know. Right. Rationalization sets in. Exactly. Yep. And then for me, I'm like, well, fuck off then. <laughs> so I don't know. This it's, it's, um, it's been, it's been interesting to see how how like the things that are the things that are true to me and the things that have always been true to me and how they've become more nuanced as I've become more seasoned. I love that word, by the way. <laughs> and and how that informs where I'm going. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I think this is a great place to pause. Okay. On this, what do you think? I think it's a great part of the journey to pause on. A lot more to talk about, but <laughs> certainly the end of the chapter. Okay, bye.